Frederick Douglass Republicanism, STEM schools, and lots of other good stuff we're going to be talking to K. Carl Smith about. He's also going to be telling us um, how we can um, reach out and get the liberty message out to those in the black community. You'll definitely want to tune in and hear what he's got to say. You're being lied to more than any generation in the history of the world. Media drives culture. Culture is what drives politics and public policy. We want to have good journalism that lasts Welcome, everyone, to 1819 News, the podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm Brian Dawson, the CEO of 1819 News, joined by my co-host, Ray Mellick, who's the editor-in-chief. Ray, how you doing? Good. Brian, it's good to see you. How are you? Doing well. Living the dream. Ready ready for election season. I was going to say, it's, we're in this last stretch yeah. run, and uh, you know, with the, the, the Tuesday primaries over in some of the other states, there's going to be a lot of attention focused in the South with uh, Georgia and Alabama primaries on Tuesday. Yeah. I mean... I've never wanted something to be over so bad in my life, <laughs> and I've I've been through some crazy things that I wanted to end, but I think this is this is top in the chart. So, uh, you guys watching uh, the video version see that we've got a guest. So we've got K. Carl Smith <laughs> joining us. K. Carl, how are you? I'm doing great. Thank you for the opportunity to be with you guys and rub elbows with two famous Americans. Yeah. Man, there you go. I'm getting more famous every uh, every month. Apparently, y'all doing some great things. 1819 News. Glad to be part of it. Thank you. Yeah, we're glad to have you. Um, K. Carl is most notable for being a columnist in 1819 News. Okay, that might that might be what he's might not be the thing he's most known for. He's probably done a lot of other cool stuff too. But you know, you know, we're, for us, we're, we're biased. Yeah. We're biased. But I, I will say, and I, I'll, we, you know, K. Carl's got a great story, and we people have kept up with the news site and know it. But uh, I've known K. Carl just primarily when my my previous work with Congress, and he's been involved, of course, with the Trump administration all over the country. Uh, really does get out and advise and and uh, and work with people. So he has a maybe a bigger reputation beyond Alabama than Alabama. Would you say? Uh, most definitely. Yeah. You know, a prophet is not respected his own hometown. Remember that. Yeah, we're going right. to fix that though. We're going to fix. <laughs> we're going to fix that. Yeah. Spent a lot of time on the road. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and also if you're wondering, K. Carl is literally the letter K followed by the letter C. Carl. So K. Carl. Uh, there's always you got someone, it. Yeah. yeah, someone's always asking, well, what do you what do you mean, K Carl? I was like, oh, just just like it sounds. You got it, man. So yeah. well good. Well, um I met K Carl at a, an Eagle Forum event in Wetumpka. Um I I really forget what the event was even about. I just know K Carl was speaking there and critical I Critical race theory. Critical race theory. There yeah. you go. And um he was there and he spoke and I was just blown away. And it was at the time when we were thinking about trying to figure out who was going to be writing op-eds and stuff for us. And uh, I just thought it, you know, quite providential that God would sit me down right there. And then Kay Carl got up and I was just, you know, floored and blown away uh, by his message of Frederick Douglass Republicanism and also just his his insight and, you know, knowledge into the, the political goings on of the country and the state. Um, so we asked him to join us on our editorial staff of uh, opinion writers, contributors, and he graciously accepted. So he's been here from the start. Um, and I'm just, I'm really excited to have him on the podcast podcast so that you guys can hear about uh, the cool things that he's doing. Um, everything from Frederick Douglass Republicanism all the way down to uh, the stuff that he's doing with uh, STEM and education, and education academies and all, all that stuff. Of, yeah. So, all right. Well, before we jump in and uh, get into all that great content, we want to let you guys know where to find us. 1819news.com uh, and sign up for the newsletter. That's the biggest thing you guys can do. Everyone's always telling us, man, we love 1819 news. What can we do to help? The biggest thing you can do is go to 1819news.com. Uh, there's a big red button at the top, uh, says subscribe, click there. 
Uh, it's free. We're not going to sell your info. You'll be signing up there to get our daily newsletter. Our daily newsletter is a morning edition, just like a paper that we get thrown on your front steps back in the good old days of journalism. We're bringing that back, except we're coming to your inbox with all the news stories you need to know for the day, uh, all the opinion pieces that we write, uh, have written, and then all, all the podcasts that we produce uh, delivered conveniently to you every morning. And the beauty of the email is, is that Mark Zuckerberg can't stop me from emailing you, <laughs> right? But uh, buddy, are we ever fighting algorithms on social media? It is brutal. So um, that's why we really want to build up that that mailing list. And so not only do you need to subscribe, tell others to subscribe. And then podcasts, you can find us on Apple Podcasts. Um, what YouTube, are the other? Spotify. YouTube, Spotify yeah. thing. Look at this, man. You see Ray? He's coming in here. He's got I'm, the tech I'm, stuff. He's he's podcasting now, man. He's Googling. I don't know he's, what any of it means, but I know yeah. the words. There you so, go. Yeah. so um, but yeah, go um, go on your favorite podcasting platform. Find us. Um, subscribe. Click the bell so that you, you're getting uh, a ding every time we come out with a new podcast. Tell everyone how much you love the podcast because we know you do. Uh, leave us a five-star review. All that good stuff. Uh, help us grow, man. So uh, we, we, we need you guys' help. Well, after all that. Let's get into the good stuff. Yeah. So, okay, Carl, uh, one of the things we love to do, no matter who comes on, um, I'm a big story guy. I was talking about that a little bit before the podcast. Yeah. I know um, on one of our podcasts, we've already had your story told, but um, this is a little bit different audience than that audience. And so um, I want people to know who K. Carl is, where were you born, who were your parents, what was it like growing up? Born in Pine Bluff, Arkansas. Um, it's kind of interesting. Today is May 17th, and uh, my father, who passed away last year, Due to COVID complications, would have been 90 years old today. Wow. So it all started with him. Um, 1964, my father, of course, is a, is a math genius. In 1964, he received his master's degree in mathematics from the University of Arkansas in Fayetteville. So in 1964, my father was recruited and hired by George C. Marshall Space Flight Center, NASA, in Huntsville, Alabama. Wow. So we moved from Arkansas, Alabama in 1964. <laughs> you know, my point is that a lot of blacks were fleeing the South in 64 uh, because of segregation, Jim Crow laws, yeah. and better uh, job opportunities up north. My father moved his family further south into George Wallace country Yeah, um, in 1964. So my wow. father worked with the German scientist uh, von von Braun and also other German scientists with the rock, Saturn V rockets. My father was very instrumental. He did the navigation system on a lunar rover that went to the moon. Wow. The GPS system, well, at that time, the GPS system, but it was all based on uh, gyroscoping. Yeah. And uh, so I come from good stock. Yeah. Uh, my parents hmm. were married for 70 years. Wow. Because my father passed away February of last year. My mother passed did away. Did they stay in Huntsville? They lived in Huntsville. Yeah. My father yeah. retired from Hunts uh, NASA as a senior exec. Um so they at that time lived in Huntsville. My mother passed away four months later than my dad mm. last year. So I lost both my parents last year, and uh, of course today is my father's ninetieth would be my father's ninetieth birthday. Oof. So come from good stock. Yeah. Um, I have four. Isn't, I don't mean, but isn't sure. it remarkable though how often people who are married together that long, when one dies, the other. It's almost like I don't know what to do with myself, and then they pass. You know, what, that's that. exactly what happened to my mom. So my fa father passed away fe February of last year, and my mother passed away in May. But during that time, she just came to a point. She said, "Look, COVID has really tore up my body. It's not, I'm not the same that I was. And plus, um, they both went into the hospital at the same time. Hmm. So she said, I don't want to go back to that home, to that house. Wow. I want to go see my my Lord and Savior and my husband in our new home. 
Mm. So she stopped taking medication and uh, decided that it was best for her to uh, be with her husband. Yeah. And so how can you argue with that? Yeah, Yeah. you can't. And they lived a blessed life. And so um, that's, that's, it was tough, but as a, as a, as a Christian, that's what you die for. Yeah. Yeah. So, you don't die. Yeah. You're just moving to a new life. Exactly. Yeah. Right. That's, yeah. that's what you live for, basically, yeah. for that opportunity to be with uh, your Lord and Savior. So, um, Tell us, um, so what was it like growing up in the 60s in the Jim Crow South? For- you know, being in Huntsville is a little bit different. Yeah. Huntsville is a little bit different from the rest of the state of Alabama. Of course, there was pockets of, uh, I remember seeing uh, segregated schools. There were segregated schools where I live, but uh, I went to a private school. My father had the means to send uh, all of us to a the first, my understanding, the first integrated school in Alabama, St. Joseph Saint Joseph Catholic School in Huntsville. Mm. And that's where we attended. How many brothers and sisters do you have? I have three siblings. All of us are boys. All of us are five years apart. So, again, my father was a mathematician. The <laughs> yeah, the spread. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, we're two boys in college at the same time. Yeah. He planned it out. Um, my oldest brother is five years my senior. Is a retired a lieutenant colonel in the United States Army. I spent 17 years on active duty and retired as, as a major before my first look, lieutenant colonel. Then my brother, five years my junior, is a degree electrical engineer, but he's been a pastor for 30 years. And my youngest brother, who graduated from high school with a D minus, is today a PhD physicist. Mm, wow. So <laughs> remember, it's not how you start the race. That counts, right? That's right. So we come from good stock, and that, yeah. that kind of uh, science background, even though I did not major in science, but I was pushed to be uh, to excel in math. And uh, I was the redhead stepchild, so I'd go some, another way. But, mm. uh, yeah, that's, that's – I'll see we come from good stock. So growing up in Huntsville is just totally different, not as bad in other parts like in Selma and other rural areas of the state – didn't have a lot of that because you had that more metropolitan feel because yeah. you had NASA there in Redstone Arsenal. Okay. Yeah. Very cool. So um, you graduate, then what do you do? Join the military, it sounds Went like? to Butler High School, and uh, then I went to Alabama A&M. And so when I graduated from Alabama A&M, I also received a commission as a second lieutenant and went into the United States Army uh, where I spent 17 years on active duty and mm. did everything that I could possibly do in the Army. Went to Airborne School, Aerosol School, I worked in the Adjutant General's Corps, uh, stationed in places like Frankfurt, Germany, uh, mm. Camp Zumba, Japan, Fort uh, Campbell, Kentucky, the 101st, and uh, spent some time in Fort Jackson, South Carolina as well. So I enjoyed it. I was not in the military. My mom was, and we lived in uh, Mannheim, Germany. So we used to fly into Frankfurt and yeah. then we'd drive down to Mannheim, Heidelberg area. Cool. So you, you get out of the military and then what? Got a military. My last duty assignment was in Atlanta, Georgia, when I was a, a executive officer in a recruiting battalion. Then when they offered the early retirement, they offered a 15-year retirement program. So I had like 16 years at that time. So I decided to take my youth and my pension and do something else. So I lived in Atlanta after I retired about for three years and uh, got into motivational speaking. Um, then my youngest brother, five years my junior, suffered a massive heart attack here. And he had the church here in Birmingham. Still have the church here in Birmingham. So I, with the assistance of my mom, I moved from Atlanta to Birmingham. Had my brother out. That was about I can't remember nineteen, about probably two thousand one, two thousand two, and I've been here ever since. Uh, then got involved in the aspect of politics. 
uh, yeah. in terms of being part of the legislative process, staying active, not necessarily running for office, but know what's going on. Yeah, and uh, that's when around the time when the Tea Party kind of surfaced, mm-hmm. uh, and I got more involved in uh, my, my 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 evolution was, and when I started getting more involved in politics and leaning toward more conservative values and identify myself as a conservative, that's when I got a lot of pushback in my community, even from family members yeah. at that time regarding my conservatism. Yeah. Let's let's jump back a little bit because I've read a lot of your book and I've read a lot of your columns. Um, talk about what that, that evolution, if you will, going from identity politics, I'm black, so I'm a Democrat, to realizing how, you know, um, that certain political party didn't necessarily line up with the faith that you were raised with and all those type of things. Yeah. Um, that's a good point. My parents were staunch Republicans until 1964, staunch Republicans. Then because of the Goldwater years, then I grew up in a staunch Democrat home after that. Yeah. Um, and just for me, it just, it just, and growing up, I never heard the counter message of the Democrat party um, that I would hear. I heard it from my parents, but in the in the in the church in the communities, I never heard the counter message, and so I realized, wait a minute, my my values are more in line with the conservative philosophy than what I'm getting from those who are pushing the democratic liberal agenda. I think I think that time I call it progressivism. Uh, it just didn't fit. Yeah, and I I was just kind of at a at a stalemate in terms of my political leaning, but then you know. Uh, I just realized, look, I need to start voting my values yeah. and not worry too much about a label. Yeah. And that was my awakening. And, you know, this whole thing about political identity, it's, no, it's all about my value system. Yeah. And in your book, I mean, it, it seemed like it was almost, I mean, I definitely, there's a strong delineation between religion and politics in the sense of, like, what matters most. But it was almost like you had a, a religious experience, like it's almost like a conversion experience. And, yeah. and coming to realize, like, whoa, you know, I've been lied to. I, you know, almost like I've been had. Yeah, it's yeah, it's mostly of a, of awakening. Yeah, that's the word um, I was looking for. Because I was not converted to conservatism. I've always been one, but just that's not the yeah. word we use in the black community. Yeah, I don't ever remember growing up we call ourselves conservatives because that's a that word is synonymous with racism. Yeah, you know, you black conservative, you're black racist. Yeah, and so. So that's not the word we use, but I definitely identify with those values. And for me, it was really reading that uh, I was reading one night, Second Corinthians thirteen and five, mm-hmm. in the Message translation. That scripture goes this way: It says, "Examine yourself, make sure you're solid in faith, test yourself. You need firsthand information if if God is in you. If you fail a test, do something about it." So several years ago, I started testing the way I was voting, mm-hmm. and I realized I was not voting my my values, I was wanting the opposite of my worship. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and so that kind of set me back. Well, I went through a period of depression really for three days mm. because all things I believe to be true, I found it was a lie. Yeah. So when you advocate and support something that you believe to be true for, for most of your life, and you find out that's not true, that's tough to accept. Yeah. And so I realized by accepting that conservatism, I know I was going to immediately separate myself from my family, my brothers. Because yeah. of that word, and but I had to do it in the ways and start receiving all kind of pushback because of that that label. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and I'm hoping I'm getting this correctly. So talk about. Um, and I want to make sure I'm kind of getting it chronologically, and I'm getting everything. You're doing good everything. so far. Okay. So um, 
we get to, you know, I, I feel like you, you invited a bunch of people over to your house to watch a football game and you kind of discovered the branding issue that conservatives have. Yeah. Um, good. Yeah. Talk yeah. about that. You know, this is, this is, this is before the Frederick Douglass piece ever yeah. came to mind, you know, where I identified myself as a black conservative. And the setting is I was at a friend's home. We were watching a football game. It was like 20 of us there. And of the 19 of those people who were there were black Republicans. Mm -hmm. And of course, the subject of politics came up that night. And I told them I was a conservative. And the attacks began that night. And the name calling ran the gamut. I mean, they called me everything. Uncle Tom, foot shuffler, the house N-word. Your parents must be disappointed in you. How yeah. could you do such a thing? Because when I said the word conservative, it's as though I just grew seven heads. Yeah. And and that the attacks is just it just went on the whole night. Yeah. So I that night I went home thinking, I said, look, I gotta find a better way to have this uh, this dialogue. <laughs> yeah. Without this without to being a victim of, of racist name calling from friends. Yeah. Uh at that time. So oh, during that time, someone sent me a text. And it's a this, this is right when emails started coming out. Yeah. And it was a text from Frederick Douglass. And there's a quote from Frederick Douglass. And the quote reads that Douglass said, quote, I'm a Republican, a black dying world Republican, and I never intend to belong to any other party than the Party of Freedom Progress. And when I read that, I said, wait a minute. Douglass was a Republican? I said, Douglas was an Uncle Tom, too. <laughs> I, I said, he was a traitor to his race. Yeah. I, said, I, said, I said, that can't be true. I said, yeah. and, and I said, why did, he, and why did he say Freedom and Progress Republican Party and didn't I say Freedom and Progress Democrat Party? So at that, at that time, I went on a reading binge. Yeah. I read everything I could get my hands on that Douglas wrote or was written about him. I read all three of his autobiographies. I read his novel, The Heroic Slave. Every biography that that was out at the time, I read. Yeah, I became obsessed with his life and his writings, and so I mean, I, I, several years. I mean, that's like I read every day for yeah. like fifteen months, every day, uh, eight hours a day on this guy. I, I became that obsessed. So a year later, um, well, doing this reading, and I read about the first seven blacks who served the U.S. Congress during Reconstruction were black. Republicans. Hmm. And their mentor was a guy named Frederick Douglass. Oh, wow. I said, wait a minute. These guys were Frederick Douglass Republicans. And they passed the first uh, civil rights legislation when Grant was president. I said, wait a minute. I said, I'm a Frederick Douglass Republican. Yeah. And I and kind of started tossing that in my hmm. mind. And I said, this is, this is my political identity. Yeah. So about a year later, I invited those same 18 to 20 black Democrat friends of mine to my home to watch a football game. That's about a year later. And reluctantly, they came, and the subject of politics <laughs> came up again, thankfully. And they said, okay, Carl, no, he's, he's a Republican. I said, wait a minute. I said, I'm more than a conservative. I'm more than a Republican. I'm a Frederick Douglass Republican, and I believe in the life empowering values of Frederick Douglass. And I went through them with him. I said, respect for the Constitution, respect for life. I believe the limited power of government, economic prosperity, free speech, school choice, women's rights, the right to keep and bear arms, uh, religious liberty. And when I shared that with them, all of them started talking about how they were a Frederick Douglass Republican too. Damn. I sat back and said, that it worked. Because the first time in my life, I had the opportunity, I had the confidence really, the confidence and the knowledge and the skill to yeah. engage my friends 
and inspire them to vote their values because they're just probably just as more conservative as I am. Yeah. And when that happened that night, I said, okay, we got something here. Wow. Talk about, um, and I, and I, you know, like I said, I've read that in your book and in, in your columns and stuff. And it's still, I just think that's such an incredible moment when you, when you have that aha moment and then you can share that aha moment with others. Yeah. And it's like, if I can just get you to see what God has allowed me to see, if I can, and then, and then God has almost even given you a message so that they can see it. I think that's great. Yeah. What God gave me is just that God helped me to develop a persuasive messaging model that conservatives can use to have conversations with people and not confrontations yeah. and overcome the racist name calling that exists. And so that's what, that's the power of it. It's something that anyone can do. That's the advocate of Liberty or, or friend of freedom. that Douglas would say to have a conversation, even not just with somebody of different color, but even your own family member. Yeah. It's about having that dialogue with them and winning the narrative. That's what this whole Fred and Doug's Republican yeah. engagement strategy does. It you know and it, it labels can be such I mean that that's the problem is you hear a word whatever it may be and immediately you conjure your own definition yeah, yeah. and and whether it's your faith whether it's your political action whether it's your sports you know sometimes you got to sit down with somebody and let's say let's what is it you believe what is it you want to do what are the things that you think are important okay let's define that before we decide what we do with it and what how that label gets that's stuck the, on there it's about finding that common ground. That yeah, you have with yeah. people. That, that's what's important. And that's part of the strategy. Well, what I found now that the the way to have a dialogue with, with a person is to find common ground. Mm-hmm. Well, Frederick Douglass is the ideal embodiment of conservatives of conservative values. Therefore, he is the common ground. No matter what station station you're on in life, we can look at Douglas's life and find common ground because his being a perfect embodiment of those conservative values that I just went through. Mm. Is That's sh- what's so key. Is it shocking to you, though, how few people seem to to know who Frederick Douglass was? No, it's not shocking. <laughs> Understanding the education system, the public education <laughs> system in our country, which is the, the best finance but the worst in terms of producing an outcome, it's not shocking at all it, because most folks don't know the substance of Douglass. But that's okay because— as when it comes to having a conversation with people, if I take the time and know more about Frederick Douglass than the people I'm talking to, which is about 99% of them, I'm driving the narrative. Yeah. And race comes off the table. Yeah. I'm the inspiration point in the conversation. And now we have a conversation. It's like being on a radio program. And like I was in Montgomery last week and I'm there for three hours and they get one, they're not getting one phone call. Yeah. I'm driving the narrative. Yeah. <laughs> No, that's it, and uh, that means they're listening. I've been on with exactly Joe before. Right. If they're not yeah. calling in, that means that they're engaged and they're listening. Yeah, no, that's good. Um, I'm trying to think where I where I want to go from here. I want to I want to talk about the Rush Limbaugh thing, um, the branding, the conservative branding mm, problem. Def- yeah, yeah. Let, let's go there, but then I want to get into the JFK picture. Talk about that, and then I want to shift gears and get into education. So, sure. kind of finish off that area. Oh, the Rush Limbaugh piece. So. Um, Let's set it up here. So back in 2018, uh, November 28, 2018, doing a third hour of his show, Rush Limbaugh made this comment, and I'm quoting, Stop using the word conservative. Stop calling yourself that. The left has, he said they have, they have has uh, demonized the word. They have destroyed the brand. He said, conservative, we have a brand problem. He said, find, find another way to identify yourself. Well, he said this back in 2018. I've been advocating this since 2008, 
Yeah. So as I, when I go out and speak, I tell people, so you see that Rush Limbaugh agrees with me. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and that's what we've been saying. Look, I, and I, he, he said, I hate to admit this, and, and I do too, because people are stuck on that label. Yeah. We're not winning by using that word. No. It, it, it's okay when you go to uh, an event and that's your target audience who are there, but if you want to do diversity outreach, because even now, Young people that go to college, they're taught in college that conservatives are racist and Nazis. Yeah. And it's not just, they're not talking to black kids. They're talking to, now white kids getting that understanding. Mm-hmm. So we're not winning that. And so we're not going to save this nation, in my opinion, carrying the label of conservatism. We got to find a label that that's more universal yeah. and that allow us to improve our brand yeah. as well as win the narrative. And for me, the best way to identify ourselves politically speaking, is to say that you are Frederick Douglass Republican in lieu of saying conservative. Yeah. And we have a long track record of, of success with that. That's good. I think something else that happens too is, is terms get hijacked. And I think there was a time when conservative did mean something. Yeah. Um, now, not only is it being attacked by the left, as if you're conservative, that means that you're a Nazi racist, you know, homophobic, blah, 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 blah. But then <clears throat> you've got all the people in Montgomery down there all the legislators are like, I'm a Christian conservative. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. no, you're not. Yeah. You know, and yeah. so yeah. they're 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 trying to take the social cred that it actually does get, and so they're ruining it, and then the left is ruining it, and so it's 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 set to die. Yeah, yeah, it, it is. It what is that uh the guy who wrote Rules for Radical, Saul Alinsky. Yeah. yeah. He has a quote, and I, I always say I, I don't like giving him any credit for anything, but he has a quote that goes along this way. He said, The person who controls the language when the mind of the masses. Yep. And that's what we're dealing with. Yep. It's, it is amazing how George Orwell's 1984, you know, really sets up where we are. And I remember reading that as a kid going, this is crazy. And now you read how, how prophetic it really was, but it's interesting in, in your experience. Uh, mine has been, as I've gotten more involved and even at 1819 news, we have run profiles of democratic candidates running for state office if you read their platforms, they're pretty conservative. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of these guys really are for limited government, balanced budgets, and I'm sitting there going, some of these guys are more conservative than, than the, the Republicans in this state. Yeah. yeah, and it yeah. kind of fits what you're saying. Is is right. if we, you get down to who you are and what you believe in, there's a lot more commonality than at least in this state than sometimes we're willing to acknowledge. We saw it at the gubernatorial forum. So we had all the Democrats and all the Republicans at the forum when we did that in Hoover. Yeah. Okay. And we were expecting it was going to be like radical left, uh, you know, AOC versus, you know, Alabama conservative. Like, you know, we, we figured that that would be the split. What we ended up finding is all 10 people up there agreed on more than they disagreed on. Right. right. And, you know, when they said, should prayer be back in schools, every single person, they, it was a it was a, a lightning round where they put the signs up. Yes or no. You had to write yes or no and put your sign up as fast as you could. And should prayer be back in schools? Every single person said yes. Right. And they said, should critical race theory and other um, racist based curriculum be taught in the public education system? Nine of them said no. There was one lady who said yes. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, you, you know, and, and on down the line, all these other questions and you're like, what is the difference? And so that would be a, a situation where you could almost have the Frederick Douglass conversation with those guys and say, mm-hmm. look, we're all singing from the same hymnal here. Right. Exactly. Right. That's interesting because. um I'm glad people are focusing on what they have in common versus in very few things they, they, they disagree on. Yeah. Uh, and we can work on those. That's, that's, that's an interesting. I, I did not know about that. But yeah. it's, it's not surprising, especially in Alabama. 
um, where you have Democrats. It's the same values, but it's just yeah. a different label. And so what I've learned in my, my experience over the years is you won't be attacked as severely as a Democrat with these values than versus a, a Republican. Yeah. It's because it's because what the opposition has to do, they got to demonize the opposition. Yeah. The left has to demonize the right in order to be effective. Yeah. And that's what they have done so masterfully. It's a, I think it's a, I call it a, you know, optical illusion. Yeah. Or anything else. Yeah. It, it, you know, I've, I've in my conversations, I exactly what you're saying. I would talk to him like, okay, I believe we both want the same thing. We just disagree on how to get to it. But let's figure out how can we work together to get there. And and even with some of the most irate liberal people that I've had conversations, by the by, we get past that point, you're actually having a conversation that both of you walk away respecting or liking each other. You may not agree, but at least right. there's that level of uh, of of uh, animosity is dissipated and now you're two people talking about what you both want. Just we disagree on how to get there. You know what I found <clears> to be very interesting when you talk with somebody on the left, they never heard, and I'm talking about the young people today, even some older folks that I've dealt with who've been embraced this whole leftist ideology. They never heard the Liberty message based on the writings of Frederick Douglass. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's, it's different when you hear the message of a former slave yes. talking about his admiration for the Constitution, the founding fathers, the, all these tenets of liberty, free speech, personal responsibility. When a slave, when a former slave articulates those tenets of liberty versus someone else you can play the race card on, like some of the founders who own slave, they, that's what the left do, they play the race card on that, but don't work with Douglas because Douglas was a slave. He didn't yeah. own any slaves. Yeah. So but when you share with them what Doug said about free speech, and what did Doug say about personal responsibility, role of government? They, how, how can you argue with a runaway slave? Yeah, absolutely. That's why we got to leverage it. And another thing that happened too is like Martin Luther King's been hijacked by the left, mm-hmm. right? So you really look at his message, and he was like, "No, I believe the Constitution. I believe the Declaration of Independence. All men should be free." Like this is a great document. If if y'all could live up to your document, we'd be we'd be you know great. That's right. Yeah. Right. And um. I, and, and then, you know, you hear him, they talk about Dr. Martin Luther King. It was actually Reverend Martin Luther King, right? And 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 anyway, so my old boss, Lee Habib, does a whole piece on basically how Martin Luther King's been hijacked. And if you really get back to a lot of the things, and he, he's not perfect. By no means right, is he right. perfect. However, um, you see kind of that the, the people that seem to have done the most in that space had a really high view of our founding documents because they saw that, no, that, this actually is the ticket. Exactly right. And uh, Dr. Dr. King... Reverend King was a student of Douglas. Yeah. Because Douglas talked about Douglas said, it said, just live up to what's in the Constitution yeah. and yeah. apply it fairly. Yep. Yeah. That's the problem. So Douglas yeah. said, Douglas said the problem's not with the Constitution. The problem is in the application of the Constitution. Yeah. And that's what we're dealing with. Yep. And uh, Dr. King uh, recognized that, and of course, Fred Douglas did as well. And you you brought up a, at a great column, and this alluded to a minute ago by Brian, of the the picture that was in almost every Black oh, yeah. family's home. Yeah, uh, talk a little yeah. bit about what that is, because I think that's a, when you hit that, it really struck a chord, because I remember seeing those pictures mm-hmm. that you referred to. We are referring to, at that point in time, when I realized I was not voting my values, and I was voting I was voting away, a, a I was voting Democrat really based on family tradition, wasn't based on values. And so I started reading my life backwards. I said, why do I have this unquestionable loyalty to a label? Mm. I said, I said, something's going on here. So I started reading my life backwards, if you will. 
And uh, one thing that came to me is this portrait that was in a lot of black homes in the 1970s. It's a portrait of Dr. King, normally he's in the center of the portrait, being flanked by the two Kennedy brothers, John yeah. and Robert Kennedy. You will see that portrait in the living room. Now, it wasn't in my parents' home, but it was in my grandmother's home. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, <laughs> that picture was in the living room next to the Bible or the or the family photo. Yeah. So when you see that picture in the living room in a place of prestige, how can you vote against the party they represent? Yeah. It make you think that they were all supporters, that the two Kennedy brothers were supporters of Dr. King, which they were not. Yeah, yeah. that's true. <laughs> so, And so, even if you look at the Kennedys now, though, like Kennedys would be like pretty far right of what yeah. is the Democrat yeah. Party yeah. today. Yeah. I think that's another point is that I think fertile ground for um, – diverse outreach of Frederick Douglass Republicanism, you know, uh, freedom message, liberty message. I think the timing is, is ripe right now. We saw what happened with Trump um, and, and the success that he had getting people who were typically identity politics. The left has moved so far to the left. They've abandoned JFK Democrats. They're abandoning, um, you know, uh, blacks and Hispanics that go to church and have these great values. Like they're going so far to the left that these people can't even, it's like, man, I, I, you guys left me. I'm not leaving you. And we want to show them that actually, yeah. you know, there's a place for you. Right. And again, it's not even about party for me because even Republican, yeah. you know, is, right, is right. like, you know, but that's where the Republican party had really get his act together because there are so many black Democrat friends that I know all across the country. They're really not happy with, how the Democrat Party has gone so far left and the Republican Party brand is so bad. Yeah. A lot of blacks will probably just stay at home and not vote for a Republican because until we improve and show that we're not a racist organization, you're not going to get blacks to vote for racist. A black, my content, a black person will vote for a socialist, a person they think is a socialist or a person they know is a socialist before they vote for somebody they think is a racist. Yeah, Bernie you, Bernie Sanders had more support from blacks than the President Trump. Yeah, how do you? Uh, <laughs> this will be fun. Um, how 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 do you think that the Republican Party? And it's funny because you're almost breaking it down to a certain. It's like how do white people talk to black people is almost the question, but it's not really like how can? Yes, it is. Yeah, and, and, I mean it is, and <laughs> yeah. so how can conservatives of, you know, of, I, I hate the, the term Republican, <laughs> but Frederick Douglass Republican is even different than Republican. Yeah. Well, um, the phrase Frederick the Republican really is really an adjective the more so it is yeah, now. Yeah. Um, when, when, when I came to the word Republican, it's really the, the idea that we live in a constitutional Republican, yeah. not necessarily the Republican party. Exactly. Republican party is bad. Democrat party is worse. Yeah. Period. So, so how, because a lot of times, I mean, sometimes you see it and it's like, you know, you can applaud someone's effort, but they just look silly, you know, when they're trying to like act hip or cool or something so that they can reach the black community. I think Donald Trump, you know, he, he kind of said, Hey, I don't care what I look like. I don't care what people think of me. I genuinely want to get to the heart of this community's problems so that I can begin to solve it because they're Americans too. Um, you know, and then, and no matter what he did, I'll tell a quick story. Um, so every, you know, Donald Trump was the most racist, racist of racists that of all the racists since, you know, Hitler, you know, so racist. That's blah, the blah, narrative. Blah. That's they, the narrative. They right? have to push that. The left has to push that. Like literally like a, <clears throat> it was, it was in January of 2021. I was at the Trump hotel in Las Vegas and I was there with some other big media folks that I was working with at the time, national space. And we're there 
And uh, we're all at this breakfast table. <clears throat> I had chicken and waffles at the Trump Hotel. It was delicious. And um, I'm there. I'm eating. And, and my boss at the time, guy by the name of Floyd Brown, um, Hispanic guy comes up who's serving us. And he and uh, he looks over and he goes, what's it like working for the president? He'd just been elected in November. It's now January, right? And <clears throat> the guy stops and he says, you know, it, it's amazing. Like, you have no idea how good he is to us. And he, and he just starts going into the store. And he's like, he knows my name. He knows my kids' names. He knows all, and it's all these Hispanic, like broken English speaking Hispanics working in the kitchen, their dishwashers, everything. He knows all their kids. They get presents, like goes this whole thing. And he just starts crying, talking about working for him. And and Floyd's like, man, have you ever served him? He goes, yeah, he's in here all the time. His family, I take care of Milani. I take care of, these guys know him. They're straight Hispanic, which that, that was the, the, you know, specifically Hispanics were the ones that he really hated with the wall and all the stuff at the Southern border. And this guy's got tears running down his face talking about how good Donald Trump is to him and his family and all of his friends that are working there with him. Completely shattered the narrative. And I was just like, whoa. Yeah. Yeah. So it, the but, narrative that the president Trump and conservatives in general races is a false narrative because the left half, they have to push that narrative that they are racist and we're not in yeah. order to give themselves a political advantage. That's all it is. Yeah. But it's the the worst racist I have ever experienced in my life are white liberals. Yes, absolutely. White liberals, hmm. by far. Yeah. Uh, we have so, to help black people. They can't think for themselves. Exactly that. right. Exactly right. And yeah. that's what I call the slave master mentality because yeah. that's exactly how the slave master felt about blacks. We got to enslave them because they can't take care of themselves. Yeah. They're so feeble minded. Yeah. We got to, matter of fact, I read uncle Tom's cab about three times. One of the boys, one of the most boring books I've read in my life, yeah. but I, I suffered through it. I read it three times. But in the first part of the book, remember when the slave uh, trader was at the house because the slave master having some financial problems with his, with his property. He was going to, he was going to sell Tom, the young lady in the house and her baby. Okay. And the and the, the the slave master's wife did not know what's going on until the slave trader came in, from, in the living room, and started talking about negotiating the price. Yeah. So in a conversation that followed with the, her husband, she said, "Quote: The fool of me, thinking that that my benevolence and instructions were better for them being the slaves than to give them liberty." Mm-hmm. That's how white liberals think. Yeah. yeah. Based on my experience. And yeah. the, with the white liberals, they want to take care of, of people of color. Now they want to take care of all of us. Yeah. Now they want to enslave all of us, regardless of our our, our skin color, because they're most of them are that elitist slave mentality. What do you think about? And again, I won't say necessarily directly about. I'm gonna get back to your question you asked me too about how to conserve. Yeah, yeah, let's go back to that, and yeah. then yeah. we'll talk uh, yeah. off the plantation, Candace Owens. After that, it is very, uh, very simple. It's nothing difficult uh, about how to engage. But the first thing you have to do, you got to understand that words have power. Yeah. The the way the, how I think about the word conservative may not be how they think about the word conservative. So if I use the word conservative and it may be oppressive to them, I just create a barrier to an opportunity where I had a chance to win them over. Kissing yeah. goodbye. You just blew the opportunity because you're using uh-huh. the wrong word. Yeah. You got to understand the target audience in yeah. the black community. It's not just the black community, but even the Latino community, the word conservative has a racist connotation. Yeah. So get rid of the word. Stop using it. Get get it out. Get it out of your head. And then I there's so many ways I can answer this question because there's so many techniques that we've applied, but I go back to this one. The best way to have a conversation, you not only got to change your identity, 
But you got to understand how to build trust and credibility for yourself in order to get people to listen to you. Mm. Meaning that soon people think and know I'm a conservative. They're they're dots in their mind. They're very they're they question me. They question my sincerity. Yeah. You got to learn how to create trust and credibility for yourself to have this conversation. First thing you got to do, change that political identity. Don't don't use the word conservative. Try Frederick Douglass Republican. And here's why this whole thing works. Fred does Republicans oxymoron to a lot of folks. Fred Doug's the icon of liberty, Republican because of negative propaganda, icon of racism. The two just don't go together. Yeah. So when you utter that phrase, you got to have some content become behind it. So you got to have what I call a public declaration. Mm-hmm. And it really goes back, I mean, how much time we got here? It really goes back yeah. really understanding the ministry of the Apostle Paul. Yeah. When Before the Apostle Paul became a champion of Christianity, he was also well known for being a bloodthirsty murderer of Christians and that reputation preceded him. So there's no denying Paul had a tremendous impact in the early growth of the church. So the question is, in order for him to have that impact, how did he overcome the negative perception of the Gentiles who saw him as a racist? Mm. Paul basically did two things, and this is what we have to do to have this conversation. Number one, he had a testimony. He didn't just quote the Christ. He talked about how the teacher of the Christ changed his thinking, uh, made him a new person. He had a transformation. So as a conservative, I got to have a similar testimony, if you will, what I call a political declaration. I got to say something along these lines. I've been inspired by the life and writings of Frederick Douglass. I'm more than a conservative. I'm a Frederick Douglass Republican. I believe in his life and power and values. When you say that sincere with sincere sincereness, people are thinking now that you've had your soul to Paul conversion. Yeah. Okay. That's the first thing. So you got to have your testimony. Then you got to have good deeds. Yeah. You got to do. Be, you got to do something for the people that you're supposed to be racist towards. Let me go back yeah. to President Trump. President Trump had a lot of good deeds in the black community. Criminal justice reform, unemployment, all-time law in the black community. He uh, extended and increased the fund of historical black colleges. He had a lot of good deeds. But the problem was that when they did a poll back in January 2021, 2020, I think it was, right before the election, 80% of blacks, with all these good deeds, deeds, 80% of blacks still thought he was a racist. Mm -hmm. Why? He had the good deeds, but where's your testimony? Yeah. When you put the testimony, your political declaration, and your good deeds together, that that's so powerful. You can't have one without the other. Yeah. But once you have that, you can express that. You race comes off the table. Now you can find common ground with people. Now you can leverage Douglas, get into Douglas writings about the Constitution, the three fifth clause, economic prosperity, immigration. A lot of these issues we're dealing with today, Douglas yeah. wrote about it. Yeah. So leverage was he had to say once you understand how you can win control of the narrative. Yeah. I think too. Um, I'm trying to think of the name uh, of the of the coach that was in Memphis, that coached that um, very inner city football team in Memphis. They made a movie about him recently. Can't think of it. Either way, he went in and like dedicated his life to going in here and coaching in this inner city school, and they would didn't give him the time of day for months and months and months. And finally, he just said, "Man, why? What is it going to take for y'all to trust me?" And, he, and the, the the term they used was, you know, you're just another, like, turkey white person. He's like, well, what do you mean? He says, man, every Thanksgiving, these white people come in here right. with the truck, and they drop right. off these turkeys and take pictures and everything so they look like they're not racist, and then they drive off and leave us. That's right. That's you right. know, that's and true. so 
um, it's got to be genuine. It's got to come from the right place. It can't. You can't go into the black community with a bunch of cameras and saying like, "Look how racist I'm not." Exactly right. You know that, that doesn't prove anything yeah. at all. At all. You're exactly right. That's so true. Yeah. And one real quick thing, I have a correction. It was January of 2017 yeah. when I was uh, at the Trump Hotel. Not January say. 2021. I got my dates mixed up. January 2017. I, okay, I do want to ask, K. Carl, you brought that up, but you also worked <clears throat> in the Trump administration or with the... the, the I, I was an advisor to the presidential campaign. Right. Yeah. 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 How did that come about and how did that go over? I just got a phone call one day. <laughs> That's all I know. They said, hey, we've been reading about you, been checking you out. We'd like you to consider being an advisor to the president's uh, campaign, uh, helping out with diversity outreach. I said, sure, okay. So I went through that process. But the long story is, the of the ideas I suggested, it was never implemented. And it wasn't because of the president. It's because of the operatives around him mm -hmm. who very concerned about getting behind an idea that they did not create that may write them out of the budget. Mm -hmm. So mm. a lot of things that they did, I said, look, you have, look, you, what they focused on doing the campaign, uh, focus on his good deeds, his good deeds. I said, that's not going to resonate because you got to understand, especially in the black community, in the black community, blacks, and this is, I'm really thinking about my, talking about myself here. When I was a black Democrat, the way I viewed the world was through Proverbs 21 and 1, which reads, the heart of the king is in the hands of God, meaning God can take a quote unquote racist president and use in the bless me, criminal justice reform, opportunity zones, increase the funding of historical black colleges. So President Trump didn't get the credit for it. God got the credit because God made the racists do it. Yeah. Mm. See what I'm saying? And that did that went over their heads. I no, no, it didn't. It didn't go over there. They just didn't accept it because it wasn't part of their agenda. Yeah. Their strategy. So uh that's why um I think maybe there's some people say he got about 10% of the black vote. I think it could have been a, a lot higher. Uh, if the combination of good deeds and a, can, you just imagine if President Trump was in a debate with Biden, and at at the end he gets his two minute uh, chance to make a comment, and he says something along these lines: "Look, I'm I'm not a I'm not a Lincoln Republican. I'm not a Reagan Republican. I'm a Frederick Douglass Republican. And I'm going to continue past race uh, past legislation that's in line with Douglass's life and power and values, criminal justice reform." Opportunity zones, economic prosperity, embracing free speech. <laughs> yeah. Had he done that, he could have dropped the mic. Yeah. And what was the left going to do? Yeah. Because how are you going to challenge him once he makes his testimony, yeah. his transformation? Even though he's never been a racist, we're guilty by association. So you got to yeah. get people to think you made your transformation. Yeah. I think he was the first president, I mean, probably since Reagan, that, that did clearly communicate, though it didn't resonate with the black community as much as it could have. I think it clearly communicated that he really did believe, though, that blacks were able able to work and provide for themselves and have their own economies. And, and you know what I mean? Because before, it's exactly like you said, everybody else, their messaging was, you know, oh, we'll take care of you. And it's yeah. like, that's not what yeah. we want. Yeah. You well, know? it goes back back in the uh, 1800s, Doug's being the civil rights leader of the day at that time. And at that time, about 4 million blacks, because of the Emancipation Proclamation, were going to be technically freed from slavery. So they asked Douglas, what shall we do with the Negro? Douglas said, what you mean, what shall you do with the Negro? Don't you think you've done enough? You made him a slave. Yeah. Douglas said, leave him alone. Mind your own business. Treat him fair but no favor. Yeah. That's all we're asking for, fair but no favor. Don't yeah. pass. Douglas said, you didn't do anything special for the Irish. <laughs> Why are you going to treat black folks like a mm. special class of citizen? 
Just wow. leave us alone and apply the Constitution fairly. Wow. It's it's interesting, too, if you look at uh, Booker T. Washington, same sort of a philosophy of— Most definitely. Yeah, educate uh, us, let us have our own businesses, let us build ourselves up, and and we can and do it, and we'll, we'll accomplish. If you just kind of— our approach, stay out of our way. Yes. Just yeah. let us be. Yeah. You know? D- um, Booger T. Washington was referred to often as the uh, second Douglas. Yeah. And, uh, and you're exactly right. And that's what we need today um, is the opportunity to excel. And yeah. because of the lack of opportunity in many cases, while yeah. a lot, especially in the black community, we're going to talk about this whole thing about STEM later, yeah. it's just giving opportunity to, dis- to the disadvantage. Yeah. Give them access to the opportunity. Yeah. And that's what needs to happen. Good stuff. Um, yeah, well, I want to jump. We'll have to skip the, well, I'll ask it real quick. So what do you think about the messaging of Candace Owen, like her whole movement of off the plantation? Do you think, cause it, and it kind of goes along with what we've been talking about that, that it seems like it's the mentality. It's like another form of slavery to, you know, to just, you know, welfare and all these other things. And it's basically buying their vote. And then they've just been treated as a voting block. And so rather than you know, a slave that produces product, they're basically uh, a class of people that just yeah. are given stuff so that they'll turn around and vote for them. You know, in order to save our nation, we got to make our movement a young person's movement, a uh, young people's movement. So I'm glad to see that young voices yeah. are, are, are emerging. Uh, getting back to her thought about blacks on a plantation, I strongly disagree with that. Um, we won that fight. Yeah, We got to give Sojourner Truth, Frederick Douglass, the abolitionists some credit. We're not on a plantation. We're in the midst of liberty making bad decisions. Mm-hmm. Being on a plantation means I'm in slavery, that I have no mobility. I'm not being paid for my labor. I don't have excess education opportunities. That's not the case. So to say that blacks are on a plantation and not to understand the true history, how we got off the plantation, is really a disservice. Because it, it, cause, mm-hmm. cause the message also, she says, that blacks should leave the Democrat plantation and become Republicans. That's not the answer. you got to grow where God plants you. Yeah, it, it, you know, God may want you say in the Democrat Party and be a light in darkness yeah. if that's your calling, um, because just becoming a Republican is not the answer. You got to be agitate the Republican Party too. Yeah, to do what's right. It's, they're not going to do what's right just because they're Republicans. <laughs> yeah. we, you got to agitate them as well. So yeah. we cover that a lot at eighteen nineteen. Yeah, yes. yeah. So <laughs> I understand what she's trying to say, but black folks not on a, on a plantation. My dad said one time to me, he said, "Son." We are as free as we're going to be. The rest of it, we got to buy. Mm-hmm. That's where we are. So being, 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 uh, having a victim mentality is not the same thing as being a slave on a plantation. Mm. Being a slave on a plantation, you, you have no option, basically. Yeah. The options are none. Yeah. But as being a victim, sometimes the way you think about something and the way you make bad decisions puts you in a, in a category of being the victim. Yeah. We got to make better decisions. That's good. I'm glad I asked the question. I didn't know where he was going to go with that. <laughs> that was good. That's good. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Um, talk about, um, I want to get into your school and stuff, but I remember you telling me a story about your brother and, and basically selecting some children from the yeah. inner city and going into the robotics competition. Tell us that story. This is the setting is Huntsville, Alabama. Uh, my brother, the youngest brother is a PhD physicist, former NASA scientist. He left NASA after 15 years because he became frustrated how science and STEM was lacking in these disadvantaged communities in the school system. Uh, we, my brothers and I, we all graduated from Butler High School. 
So when my youngest brother found out at Butler High School, they removed physics from the curriculum, Mm -hmm. from the high school curriculum. He said, wait a minute now. He said, physics is the gateway to science. Now you're going to remove it out of the the curriculum? He went on to say, of all places in Alabama, there should be no failing schools in Huntsville. In Huntsville, especially when it comes to science. Yeah. But that ain't the case. But anyway, so uh, what he did was he worked the the Huntsville City School System. He went to Northwest Huntsville. He he, uh, found a feeder system, elementary, middle school, that fed up to Jemison High School. And they had no type of STEM at all. Now, in Grissom High School on the southeast side of town, you had robotics programs galore at middle school elementary school through the high school, but none on that side of town. Real quick, what is STEM for our audience? STEM is acronym for science, technology, engineering, and math. Yeah. Right. And so he started robotics clubs at, uh, at elementary schools, middle school, high school. These schools all are all Title I schools. Um, Jimson High School is on the failing schools list. Uh, the middle school is on the failing schools. I can't think of the name. But the elementary schools are not on the failing schools list, but all Title I. Yeah. So to establish his robotics team, he purposely went around to these different grade levels, different classrooms. He had three criteria. He said, I want number one, I want the child that's getting straight Fs. Give me the child that's flunking out. I want that person on my, that child on my team. Mm. Give me the child that's in special needs. You probably diagnosed them to have Asperger. And you treat them like they're retarded. They're not retarded. I want that child on my team. Then give me the child that has one or both parents incarcerated. That's who make, made up his team. He purposely recruited them. He said, I'm not worried about the talented, those who are passing, getting A's, because they're going to make it. But yeah. these kids, yeah, they have not yet had a chance to bloom. Yeah. Okay? They're, they're going to be late start, late bloomers. He said, uh, but the secret to his sauce was he brought in STEM professors from UAH, UAH, University of Alabama, Huntsville, Alabama A&M, and Oakwood, he brought in STEM professionals. You have all those defense contractors there in Huntsville They're working at NASA and also working at Wrestling Arsenal. Then he brought in STEM students. That's who came. He had like a network of 60-some of these professionals, these STEM uh, people, if you will, and he brought them in. That's who mentored and taught the children. So I'll make a long story short, 2019, he entered Jemison High School in the first robotics regional competition in Huntsville. You had public schools, uh, public schools from Birmingham were there, Montgomery uh, from Mississippi, um, private schools. You had a, a homeschool association that were there. Like 55 teams were there. Out of all the public schools in the state of Alabama that participated in the competition, Jimison High School finished number one. Hmm. Uh, Jimison High School defeated STEM-focused magnet schools in Huntsville. They defeated them. Mm. They finished number one. This team finished number one in the city of Huntsville, number one in Madison County, and number two in the state of Alabama. Wow. You never heard anything about it. Nobody wrote about it. I contacted ADL.com before y'all came to this. They wouldn't write anything about it for whatever reason. Um, Because what happened when he did that, these kids did that, it shattered the educational paradigm. A lot of money is just put into magnet schools. So these young kids defeated schools they can't even get in. (laughs) Okay? So when that happened, of course, a lot of community leaders across the state asked him to expand his program across the state. And that's when we sat down and said, look, you need to establish a presence in Birmingham every year. 
that Birmingham area, they give you a better reach across the state. So we're, we're looking, we're, we're working on it now, starting a, uh, a STEM academy. Yeah. Um, we're looking at doing one in Birmingham and Huntsville. It'd be called the Frederick Douglass STEM Academy. All um, tying in together. Tying in together. And also, we with this, will be a, re, a science research innovation center that's part of the school. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll do certifications for, for uh, 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 in, in, in the black community, before we got started, well, let me back up. Before he even got started with this, he did a survey. He went to the project areas in, in Huntsville. He interviewed about 300 different families and asked him really this one question, what, is, what does economic development mean to you? And many talked about getting another, a better paying job in terms of, especially area retail. They don't know anything about the burgeoning technology of cybersecurity, aquaponics, ag tech, uh, prosthetics engineering, things you can get a certification in and make eighty, ninety thousand dollars a year. They yeah. don't know anything about that, so we got to provide that knowledge to them. Mm. And that's one thing we're doing through the STEM and the Science Research Center. So making sure that disadvantaged children have access to a rigorous STEM education as well as their parents. Wow. You want to talk a little bit more any of, of the details of the school before we cut out, or? <clears throat> um, that's basically it. We uh, we're we're sitting in the in the mold now. We're raising money. Uh, we identified some land here. We had some uh, land we had, were interested in in Birmingham. We had to back out of that because it was, it was, it was really a predatorial arrangement. It wasn't good for us financially. Um, but we are we have a very uh, Ambitious and uh, aggressive plan, like 18 and 24 months to have something up and going. Um, that's basically all I can say right now. More to come in about two weeks. All right. Well, let us know. Let us yeah. know. Absolutely. Yeah. Good stuff. Well, yeah. Thank you for coming in, K. Carl. Oh, thank my you pleasure. for taking the time. My pleasure. Well, guys, uh, hopefully this was enjoyable to you as it was to us. I'm sure it was. Um, Ray, do you have any final thoughts before we go? No, you know, it's interesting, as I said, every time I, I mean, I read K. Carl every week, I edit him, but I also yeah. read it and look forward to it. And, and it's amazing how many people that I know are the same. But every time I hear you talk, I learn a little more about you. Mm -hmm. And it's uh, it's really just a cool way to to develop relationships with people is just sit down, listen, hear their story, and, and you relate. I mean, there's a lot of things that, that – K. Carl, even though he, uh, a black family, I'm sitting there listening, going, "Hey, I I relate to that as my family too." You yeah. know, so that's it's, that's that's what we need more of, just conversation. Yeah, and that's part of the vision in 1819, um, as you know, as well as you know, investigative journalism and digging into what's going on in Montgomery and corruption at the highest levels and all that stuff. That is a big part of it. But as we've said too, we want to. We want to celebrate Alabama. Um, you know, the, the 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 big outlet in town, AL.com, spends plenty of time shaming us for how terrible we are. Uh, we want to pick up that banner and say, you know what? Alabama's full of incredible people doing amazing things, and K. Carl is one of those people. So uh, this has been good. Well, thank you all for the platform that uh, you've made available uh, to my organization in the getting message of liberty out there. Good deal. And the success that's, that great things is happening in the state of Alabama. we got to prove our image. That's yeah. right. Good stuff. We're free. We got to go. We, we got the liberty. Now we got to go buy it and get what that's, we want. That's right. That's right. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, again, uh, before we go, 1819news.com. Uh, subscribe. Sign up for the newsletter. Uh, so it's coming to your inbox on your podcast platforms. Uh, subscribe there as well. Uh, make sure you're getting all of our content. All right. Well, until next time, uh, put your trust in God and keep your powder dry. Keep your powder dry.